we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. When one is occupied with oneself, with one's body, with one's beauty, this constant occupation with oneself, one denies all relationship. Hello and welcome to episode 159 of Urgency of Change. Each episode of the Krishnamurti podcast is compiled from carefully chosen extracts from the archives representing Krishnamurti's different approaches to fundamental issues and questions we all face in our lives. This week's theme is Occupation. Upcoming themes are Learning, Morality and Cause and Effect. This is a podcast from Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please visit the official YouTube channel for hundreds of advert-free full-length video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's talks. In addition, the Foundation's own channel features hundreds of specially selected clips. You can also find our regular quotes and videos on Instagram, TikTok and Facebook at Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, which helps our visibility. This week's episode on occupation has six sections. This first extract is from the second question and answer meeting at Brockwood Park in 1981, titled, Why are our minds perpetually occupied? Why why are our minds perpetually occupied? Occupied with something or other. If you are occupied with meditation, when you are talking about meditation, then you are occupied with it. God, you, you follow? Everything from the housewife to the highest religious authorities are occupied. Why? You understand my question? This is not an irrelevant question, it is relevant. Because our occupation with money or with sex, with this or with that, indicates the state of our own minds, our own hearts, to be occupied with something. Does it mean that this occupation with business, with money, with sex, with God, with the Guru, with the politics, and so on, so on, keeps our mind, brain full? You understand my question? Is it that we are afraid not to be occupied? Please look at it. Look at look at our own ourselves, which is Am I occupied from morning till night? And when I go to sleep, the brain is also occupied with dreams, with all kinds of sensations. So there is never a moment when the brain is not occupied. Is that so? And when the brain is so occupied, there is no space 
And so the brain becomes more and more shallow. You can see this happening. Is it because we are frightened of not being occupied, therefore, having no space, the brain having no rest at all, therefore wearing itself out, right? The wearing itself out is a part of senility. Right? So can is there a possibility of not being occupied? To merely to look, to observe, not be occupied with observation. Just to look, to observe. So that brain has a rest, not to record, because our brain is all the time recording. I don't know if you are following me, if it interests you. Then your brain becomes extraordinarily alive, pliable. If you have ever observed without a single thought, have you? To observe a tree, to observe the water, a sheet of water, the light on it, to observe a woman or a man without all the consequences of that observation, the sensations, so that your mind is really free from occupation. How can a brain that's occupied ever observe? You understand my question? How can a mind that he brain rather is always occupied with something casual, daydreaming, with the kitchen or with God. They're all the same. All occupations are the same. They are not superior occupations or inferior occupations. We are talking about occupation per se. Such a mind. is really the most bourgeois mind in the world, including the communists. Is it chattering part of this occupation? Talking, 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 endlessly. You follow? Now, if are we aware of this occupation and experimenting with ourselves to see if it stops, then to find out whether there is fear and pursue that fear. You follow? Go to the very end of it and end it. as we talked about in the previous talks, then see what happens to this brain which, is, which has space, which has quietness, which is not occupied. If you say, how am I to do it? Tell me the steps, the method, how not to be occupied. Then those steps, those methods become your occupation. 
you're back in the cycle. But if you see the consequences of occupation and see the fact of it, you move away from it. So if one is occupied with money, why? Either you are poor, which is natural, then you have to be concerned about. But if you are even if you are poor, to be occupied eternally from morning till night. And the man who is very rich is also terribly occupied. How to keep the money more, increase it, you know the whole business. So the real question is, can the mind be free from all occupation? If I may repeat some incident. We were in the Himalayas once, far away from all noise and in a cottage. And a group of monks, sannyasis, came rushing into the cottage to tell me something. They knew who I, the person who was occupying it. So they came to see me. And they said, We have just come from a man who is far away in the hills, who is full of knowledge. And we have just come and we are filled with that knowledge. And we said, What is that knowledge? We went into it. At the end of it, we discovered the solitary person living in the Himalayas was really not solitary at all. He has carried all the world's knowledge up there. And so he's never alone, never quiet. He's full of that knowledge and therefore perhaps can never experience something totally original. A mind which is occupied can never experience something original. It's only the mind that's free, if I can use the word empty. We were talking with a scientist the other t- some days ago, and we were saying that emptiness is very important in life. Not vacuum, not being just vague and daydreaming, but really a mind that's not occupied has space and totally empty. And we're saying that such a mind has is full of energy. And the scientist agreed. He said, "Where there is emptiness, there is not. It's not empty." It's that very emptiness is energy. You, are, you I'm telling you something. So let us, you think about it. You know, look at it. The second extract is from Krishnamurti's sixth talk in Sanan, nineteen seventy-two, titled. Are we afraid to be unoccupied? So I see the mind is its content. The mind is not without its content. And it is afraid to let go its content. Otherwise, there's no existence. And so it has got to be, it's got to occupy itself with its content. Furniture, the, per, the people, the person, or the idea idea of being God, you know, all the rest of it. See how extraordinarily interesting it is, because 
meditation what they call meditation is the cultivation of an occupation with an idea and the practicing of that idea which is not at all meditation when we will discuss it when perhaps left it on sunday but see how the whole thing hangs together like a marvelous structure Now, one has explained all this, the attachment to property, attachment to people, to conclusions, which are images, symbols, ideas. to have an insight into that into the whole of it is the liberation from attachment not at some future date instantly you are this is really important to understand when you listen to this do you say i will think about this little later when i go out of this tent i will go into this much more because here there are too many ideas too many uh, being poured out i must take it up and think about it later which prevents you from having an insight now Oh, sir, just a minute, sir. You ask me a little later. We are going to have questions. Ask me questions after I have finished talking. If you can remember what you want to ask me. And if you are sharing this thing together, there is no time for you to think about it later. we are sharing the food together because you are hungry and the speaker is also hungry we are sharing the food together eating together you don't say when you are eating together or when you are hungry i will eat later you are sharing it actively eating and if you have no insight into what has been said why are you frightened of your of not being attached not being occupied not finding out what happens to a mind that has no attachment therefore fear because the mind is incessantly occupied whether with the house with sex with god with drink or with your politics with your guru what the good occupied and that gives it a vitality a certain quality of energy and one is afraid if there is no occupation at all what what's going to take place therefore when there is that fear you will not share that fear will prevent you therefore you have to have an insight into that fear which is far more important to have an insight into attachment you i don't so you 
So there is constant insight. And when you have such an insight, attachment altogether is gone and a different quality comes into being. The quality which the mind itself has, if it is, if it has, a, has understood, has aware, has an insight into the whole process of attachment, that is love. You understand? How can I be, love you or you love me if I am attached to you? My attachment is based on my pursuit of pleasure, which you give me, your images and so on. I am attached to that image of you, and you are attached to the image of me. And the image is the past, is the, is the response of experience, knowledge. So, is love the past? Is love experience? Is love memory? Is love the reaction to that memory as pleasure? Follow all this. So, one discovers, or one comes upon, the mind comes upon, that where there is attachment of any kind, there is no love. It is not a statement, an idea, but an actual fact, which the mind has discovered, which the mind, having an insight into attachment, sees the truth of it. And seeing the truth of it, is not occupied with the person, or with the furniture, or with the idea, and therefore it has its own energy. I wonder if you are meeting all this. It is that quality of energy which is love. Right? And therefore, love can never be hurt. Oh, you don't see all this, do you? Can never be jealous, never lonely, never asked to be loved. What a horror that is! The third extract is from the second talk in Sanan, 1978, titled Identification is the Essence of Occupation. Does one see the actual danger of this self-centred occupation? that occupation may be, may identify itself with a nation, with a group, with a particular ideal or belief. It is the same process. I hope this is clear. When I identify myself with a group, with an idea, with a belief, with a conclusion, that identification <coughs> is the very essence of, of being occupied with oneself.
Right? When one is occupied with, say, uh, internationalism, you have moved from occupying yourself with yourself to something which you, with which you identify yourself. Therefore, that identification is still the occupation of oneself. Is this clear? When I occupy, when I identify myself with Christ or Jesus or Krishna or whatever it is, I have, I am still in the process of identifying myself with that, but it's still occupation with myself. I want this clear. Can we go on if that's clear? So, the central issue is whether one can exist <coughs> healthily, sanely, harmoniously without identifying with anything. Not only outwardly, but inwardly. Identifying myself with my experience, identifying oneself with the family, with beliefs, with institutions, and so on. That means, can one live in this world with no identification? Which means, can one live harmoniously both with the outer and the inner, without any, any sense of occupation and identification? Is this? Let's be clear of the problem first, before we operate on it. When one is occupied with oneself, with one's body, with one's beauty, with one's eye, you know, this constant occupation with oneself, you deny actually all relationships. Though you may, you may sleep with another, though you may hold hands with another, say oh, how darling you are, all the rest of it, but the identification process separates human beings. And from that, violence, wars, division of races, everything takes place. Right? Now, next question is whether it is possible to live in this world daily without any sense of identification. Not only with the senses, the body, but with the name, with all the past, the heredity, you understand, the Englishman, the German, the, all the history of all the past, to be completely free from all that, and yet live in harmony with activity in daily life. Is this problem clear now? First of all, there is no speaker, as we pointed out the other day, 
you are speaking to yourself you are looking at yourself i may the speaker may be the mirror but the mirror has no value you use the telephone to speak but the telephone itself has very little importance what you say in the telephone is important so in the similar way there is no speaker here you are talking to yourself you are observing yourself you are observing your occupation with yourself and the result of that occupation in your daily activity which is creating such chaos in the world when the i when people identify themselves with russia with a certain ideology you become terribly brutal you are willing to torture people and so on we won't go into all that everybody knows about it every magazine every newspaper goes into all this so the next question is can the mind totally dissociate not only with knowledge which it has acquired and stored up to which it becomes attached but also can the mind remain not in isolation because when one thinks if one is not occupied oneself you have no relationship to others you are so totally isolated those are all concepts conclusions theories so what we are saying is can the mind including the brain the senses when we use the word mind i mean including all that the brain the movement of thought the experiences accumulated as knowledge memory the whole momentum of thinking and the senses all that is the mind which is essentially consciousness right can that mind which has been so conditioned through millennia because our mind our minds brains are very 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 old it's not something new that we have acquired when you're born it is a tremendously old mind heavily conditioned to to occupy itself with itself can that mind free itself completely <coughs> from the past which includes knowledge tradition heredity all that and actively sanely live in daily life harmoniously is this possible right you understand the problem the identification between the jew and the arab what 
in the Middle East, what, they are, what is happening. When the Russians are occupied with an ideology and forcing man to, man to shape himself according to that ideology, the authoritarian totalitarianism, which is destroying, and so on, so on, so on. Does one see this centralized occupation is enormous danger that's going to destroy man? <coughs> then the problem is how to disentangle, how to unravel all this and put it all away. Right? Now, what is your answer? I'm not answering you. You're answering. <coughs> you are looking in the mirror. There is no speaker. You are looking and asking these questions. The fourth extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk in New Delhi, 1981, titled You Cannot Observe If Your Mind Is Occupied. All right. How do you observe me? You're sitting there. How do you look at me? What's your reaction? Do you look at me, at the speaker? Because you've got a reputation. How do you. What's your reaction when you see a man like me? Or are you merely satisfied by looking at the reputation he has, which may be nonsensical, it generally is? how he has come to this point to address so many people, whether he's important and what you can get out of him. He can't give you any government jobs. He can't give you money, because he has no money. He can't give you any honours, any status, any position, or guide you, tell you what to do. How do you look at him? Have you looked at anybody freely, openly, without any word, without any image? Probably never. What, sir? Probably never. Never. Have you looked at a tree? the beauty of a tree, the flutter of the leaves. <coughs> so, can we learn together how to observe? You cannot observe, not only visually, optically, if you are, if your mind is occupied. Right? As most of our minds are occupied. The article I have to write next day, I'm occupied with my cooking, I'm occupied with my job, I'm occupied about sex, I'm occupied about how to meditate. I'm occupied about uh, what other people might say. So my mind is occupied from morning till night. How can such a mind, being occupied, observe anything? You are following? If I'm occupied 
with becoming a marvelous carpenter, not a politician, not a guru, not a, just a carpenter, a master carpenter, not one of your amateur carpenters who does no, who is not really an artist. If I want to be a first-class carpenter, I have to know the texture of the wood. I have to know the instruments, how to use the instruments. I have to study how to put joints together without a nail, and so on and so on. So my mind is occupied. Or, if I am neurotic, my mind is occupied with sex, or becoming a success. So how can I, being occupied, observe? Right? So is it possible not to be occupied all the time? I am occupied when I have to talk, when I have to write something or other, but the rest of the time why should I be occupied? You understand, this leads to a very important question, which is that you know something about computers? Have you heard about them? The computers can be programmed, as we human beings are programmed. The computers can be programmed. Take, for instance, it can learn think faster, more accurately than man. It can play with a grand chess master. After, four, after being defeated four times, the, compu- the master beats the computer four times. On the fifth time or sixth time, the computer beats the master. The computer can do extraordinary things. I won't go into all that. It is being programmed, you understand? It can invent, create new machines which will be better programmed than the first program. (coughs) A machine that would be ultimately intelligent, not created by man. The machine will itself create the ultimate intelligent machine. You don't know anything, you all sick. Please, the speaker has been talking, with, discussing with a great many computer experts in California and other places. And what's going to happen to man? You understand? What's going to happen to man or to woman when the computer takes the whole thing over? The Encyclopedia Britannica, Britannica can be put in a little chip and it contains all that knowledge. So what place has knowledge in human life? You know. So we are saying our brains are occupied, never still. So to learn how to observe your wife, your neighbour, your government, the poverty, the brutality of poverty, the beastliness of war. There must be freedom to observe. See, we object to be freedom, to, to be free, because we are frightened to be free, to stand alone. So, that's one of the things in our consciousness. Hurt 
relationship, this immense occupation. Now, you have listened to the speaker for nearly an hour and a quarter, right? What have you heard? Or what have you gathered? Words, ideas, which ultimately have no meaning, right? But what have you gathered? Have you, ga- have you seen for yourself never to be hurt? That means never have an image about yourself. And have you seen the importance, the urgency of understanding the relationship? And having a mind that is not occupied. You understand? When it's not occupied, it's extraordinarily free. It sees great beauty, but the shoddy little mind, the second-hand little mind, is always occupied about knowledge, about becoming something or other, inquiring, discussing, arguing, never quiet, free, unoccupied mind. When there is such a mind, out of that freedom comes supreme intelligence, not out of thought. The fifth extract is from the sixth talk in Sanan, 1979, titled An Occupied Mind Has No Order. So there are several things implied in meditation. First, there must be space, not physical space only, but space within the mind, which means no occupation. you understand this? Do you understand this? Because all our minds are occupied. How shall I stop chattering? I must, the, I must be occupied with having a, a space. <laughs> I must be silent. You follow this, this occupation, like a housewife with her cooking, with her children, like, like a devotee with his God, a man with his occupation, with his sex, with his job, with his ambition, with his position. The mind is wholly occupied. Therefore there is no space in it. So that's the first. You follow? We have established order in our life, not the order of discipline, control, that's out, but we have established order because we have seen, intelligently we have seen, that the order can only come out of the understanding of disorder. We've gone into it, I'm not going to go into it. So we have brought about order in our life, order in our relationship. which is very important, because life is relationship. 
a movement, an action in relationship. If there is no order in your relationship with your wife, with your husband, with your children, with your neighbour, whether that neighbour is near or very far, forget about meditation. Because if you, out of having disorder in your life, you try to meditate, you will fall into the trap of illusions. So that's why we said we have in these talks, if you have been serious, if you have followed, we have brought about order, absolute order, not temporary order, absolute order. That order can look to the cosmic order. You understand? It has a relation. Oh, I mustn't go into that. Just let me go into it a little bit. That order has relationship with the cosmic order. Cosmic order is the setting of the sun, rising of the moon, the marvelous sky of an evening with all the beauty. And merely examining cosmic, cosmo, the cosmic, the universe through a telescope is not order. It's order in here, in our life. Then that order has an extraordinary relationship with the universe. You understand all this? So we are seeing when a mind is occupied, there is no order. There is no space. When the mind is full of problems, how can you have space? So every problem as it arises must be immediately solved first to have space. You understand? That isn't part of meditation. Not to carry problems over day after day, day after day, day after day. I met the other day a lady who said to me, when you were a little boy you hurt me psychologically and I'm still carrying that hurt. Sixty years hurt. Oh, you don't see this. So is it possible not to be occupied? Which doesn't mean irresponsibility. You understand? On the contrary, when you have, when you are not occupied, you give your attention to responsibility. It's only the occupied mind that is confused, and therefore responsibility becomes ugly, and responsibility then has the possibility of guilt and all that. Please do not ask how not to be occupied. If, if you say, please tell me a system, a method, all that, then you will be occupied with the system, with the method, with the slogans and all the rest of it. But if you see, if you have an insight, if you see that a mind occupied is a destructive mind, it's not a free mind, it's, it has no space. If you see that, it happens. The final extract in this episode is from Krishnamurti's fourth talk at Brockwood Park in 1981, titled Meditation is finding out if the brain can be unoccupied. And meditation also is to find out, learn whether it is possible for the brain never to be occupied. Because our brains are occupied all the time. about God, about sex, 
about oneself, about one's own conclusions, beliefs. You know, you, I'm sure you watch yourself how one's mind, is, brain is occupied. When the brain is occupied, there is no space. When, it is occup- when, it, when knowledge has occupied the mind, brain, occupied it. How can that brain experience in anything original? So to experience something original, when the brain is crowded, occupied, you take drugs to experience something fantastic. You do. Not that a speaker has taken any drugs. He has talked to many of the people who have taken drugs. They are very they have certain experiences which are projected by their own conditioning, by their own desire, will and so on, of which they are unconscious. Only the chemical alters their focus. And sometimes it does great harm. If one has taken drugs for a couple of years, then your brain is gone. Or if you have played with it for a little while, there is some still hope. So one has to find out whether the brain can ever be free from all occupation. That is, are we listening with occupied mind, brains to what is being said, or watching your own activity of the brain to see whether it is occupied now, sitting there quietly, if it is occupied? That is, is you are, are you occupied with listening, or are you just listening? See the difference? You May I go on with this? Gosh! When you are attempting to listen, Making an effort, say, I must understand what that chap says. And so you are exercising your will to listen, you are occupied. But if you are listening, because what speaker is saying, is rational, is, is yourself, is explaining yourself. So there is, you're not listening to the speaker, you're listening to yourself. Therefore, you're listening very quietly, without any occupation. That is to be aware of yourself, how you're listening. And in this listening, are you learning or merely observing? You see, if you are observing, there is no accumulation. But if you say, I must learn what, that cha- what he's saying, I must remember what he's saying, then your mind is being occupied, and therefore there is no space in which you can listen. In the same way, to observe, without occupation, just to look. And the other deeper problem is whether the brain can ever be quiet, absolutely still. It has its own rhythm, its own movement. I, I'm not, we're not talking about that. 
You can't stop that. Of course, you can stop if you take some kind of, or you die. But we are talking about the movement which thought has created. So whether that thought can ever be completely still. That is part of inquiry into meditation. Not how to make the brain still, because then you you can learn, then you can f- practice some form of idiocy, and you can force the brain through forced thought to be still. But you follow? That's mechanical. So there is no exercise of will at all in meditation. Unless you don't see the beauty of all this. And is it possible for thought to be absolutely still? That is, for time to stop, not scientific friction time, but the actual movement of time as thought. This question is very complex, unless one understands the whole movement of thought, see how thought operates, what it has done in the outside world and inside world, what is the nature of knowledge, what is the experiencer who experiences, or the thinker who thinks, all that is the movement of thought. And a brain that has been educated for a million years to think, because everything we do is through thought, by moving the movement of arm, because I want to move it in that direction. It's all movement of thought. And the brain is conditioned to that. And you are asking something enormously significant and against the conditioning. So one has to learn the nature of thought and find out for oneself, not through compulsion, imitation, conformity, will, that there is absolute stillness of thought. Silence is of many kinds. There is silence between the barking of that dog. When the noise stops, there is certain silence. There is silence between two thoughts. There is silence of an evening when everything is quiet. There is silence of a morning when there is not a movement, just before the dawn comes. But there is a silence which is entirely different, which is the silence of a brain which has no movement of thought. Because in that silence alone there can be that which is sacred. The things thought has created are not sacred. The things that have thought has invented are not holy. But we worship the things which thought has created. See the game we play, that is, 
I worship a symbol, a figure. That figure, that symbol is created by thought, invented, moulded by hand or by the mind. And then thought says, I must worship that, which is worshipping itself. I wonder if you see this. And we pray to that, we do. So, this is meditation. Either you go through all this step by step by step, which is impossible, or you see the whole of it at a glance. You understand the difference? Either we take into consideration and analyze fear, pleasure, pain, wound, all that bit by bit by bit, having slight insight into each, and then try to meditate, which is obviously incomplete, or you watch the whole movement of it. It's all related, they're all related to each other. You can't separate them and say, This I'll examine today and tomorrow I'll do this and there tomorrow that. That's all. But if you can observe the whole movement of it, and you can only observe it, when there is no motive or direction at all. (coughs) And that silence of the brain is necessary to find out, for that to... silence can... into that silence something sublime, something timeless can come into being. 